Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. We are in a larger study, walking all the way through the book of Exodus. We are this evening in Exodus chapter number 20 and verse number 13. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 13. If you found your place, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 13. And uh, this is one of the shorter of all of the commandments, right to the point Uh, The Lord gets with us on this commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 13. The commandments really begin, verse number 3, and we've talked already, verse number 1 and verse number 2. Man, these are from God, and how important it was to have the understanding that this was God's plan. This is the instruction from God on how He intends... For our lives to go. You say, well, why does God have instruction for us on how our lives should go? Well, because God knows best on how we should use the lives that he's given to us. And so we walked verse 3, no other gods before me. Got down then verse number 7, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Verse number 8, remembering the Sabbath. Uh, Verse number Uh, 11, no, verse number 12, which Derek tackled last week, honor thy father and thy mother. And we come this evening, verse number 13, and thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Let's read that verse together. Ready? Verse 13. Ready? Let's read. Thou shalt not. I started to make a list of all of the cold-blooded murders that are recounted in the Bible. What an interesting and dark homework assignment for your Bible reading. Go through the Bible on all of the accounts of cold-blooded murder. There's, There's actually several in the Bible, okay? And there's actually several reasons for why murder was done. One was greed. Think someone wanting something else that someone else has, and they want it for themselves, and so they're going to go, and they're going to kill that person, and they're going to take it in order to have what that person has. Think uh, Esau setting out to kill Jacob, because Jacob now has the birthright and the blessing, and so Esau has in his mind to kill Jacob, in order to gain what Jacob has. Jealousy is another reason. Which is similar to greed, but different. Similar in the sense it's wanting what someone else has because you don't have it, but they do have it. It's more, more personal. It's not just that I want something, could be whatever it is, but I want in particular what you have And I'm willing to take what you have in order to make it my own. Think think Cain and Abel. Think King Saul and David. Fear is another reason that cold-blooded murder is recorded in the Bible. Someone might be able to take something away from you. 
take what you have and you don't want to lose what you have and so you commit murder in order to protect what you have because you don't want anyone else to have it. Think David and Uriah because of Bathsheba. David has Uriah murdered because he does not want Uriah to take what he has. Cold-blooded murder. Personal vengeance is another reason. Another reason why murder is found in the Bible. Someone has simply made you mad. They just got under your skin. Man, your, 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 your emotions and your anger and your temper and your rage just got going. And the only thing that was going to satisfy that rage, the only thing that was going to make it right was to, to kill someone, to, to, to take a life, to commit murder, to, to put someone to death. Think Think Absalom and Amnon because of Amnon's great sin against Absalom's sister. So he kills Amnon because that's the only way that this situation could possibly be made right. And what you'll find in every one of those, we could keep going, but what you'll find in every one of those is you'll find that in, some, in every case, someone values something more than they value Someone. Okay? In every case of cold-blooded murder in the Bible, the person who is committing the murder, the, the killing, values something more than they value the someone. So because the value for this something is greater than the value that I see in someone, then it only makes sense for me to remove this someone from the occasion or, 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 or from the occasion in order to get the something that I want. Biblically speaking, there is nothing more valuable than human life. Biblically speaking, there is nothing more valuable than human life. It is so valuable that God himself descended from heaven in order to redeem that life to himself. And this, this is really the premise that, that this commandment is going to build on. It's going to roll out as, as we see, not just here in this passage, but also as Jesus helps us under, understand this premise a little bit more. And what does it mean then, thou shalt not kill? So, so here's what I'm guessing. When we talked about honor thy father and thy mother, it was probably a part of you that was like, you know, I, I could, have, could have done better obeying mom and dad. Could have done better talking nice about my parents. Could have done better, right? But there's, there's, when we say thou shalt not kill, there's probably a part of us that are like, not guilty of this one. Like, I, I mean, I broke all of them up to this point. I'm, I'm five for five. But trust me, Pastor, I'm good. I haven't killed anybody yet. Well, buckle up. Buckle up. Because as you'll, you're probably already there, but as you'll understand from Matthew 5, where Jesus helps us understand what this commandment is, it's, it's not just in the deed, is it? And it's not just in the deed. No, no, murder is in the heart. It resides in the heart. Man, what does this mean for you and for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, I pray that you would help us understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Three ideas, then we'll walk through it. Three ideas. Number one, 
What does the sixth commandment prohibit? What does the sixth commandment prohibit? What, what does the sixth commandment, what does it mean that we should do? And what does it mean that we should not do? Well, we'll do, we'll do with three, three things that it does not prohibit, three things that I believe it does. The sixth commandment does not prohibit self-defense. The sixth commandment does not prohibit self-defense. I'm not for sure what your notes look like, but you should scribble this one out as letter A. The sixth commandment does not prohibit self-defense. Exodus chapter number 22, verse number, 20, verse number 2 and verse number 3, and here's what it says. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. But if the sun be risen upon him, and there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then shall be sold for his theft. So, so here's what the law is commanding, that if someone breaks into your house and is threatening your family and you in self-defense, so if the thief be found breaking up, so he snuck into your home and in and threatened your family in some way in the middle of the night, and in self-defense you responded to that situation with some sort of force, and the man was killed, then the Bible says that, and that man be smitten and die, then there shall no blood be shed for him. Right? So there's this immediate line drawn where the life of a man, the shed blood of a man, can only be made equal or, or restituted or be made right with the shed blood of another person. So think Leviticus, think uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for a life, arm for an arm, limb for a limb. Like this is the, the order in which it is supposed to flow out according to God's civil law. And what he says here is if you had no other choice because you were trying to defend yourself from an intruder and as a last resort, this person was killed because you were defending yourself, then there's no guilt found there. That's why verse number three, when it reads, and if the sun be risen upon him, that, that meaning, the meaning of that phrase is, so you could see what was happening, right? So you could discern what was taking place, and there were other choices, there were other options that could have been done. So the sun's risen, and you aren't just reacting in self-defense, but now you're, you're acting in some sort of premeditated way or some, some sort of uh, intentional action towards someone, if that happens, where there shall be bloodshed for him. That's what he's saying. So if it's intentional and, and, uh, and, and, and responsive, then there shall be bloodshed. But if it's in the middle of the night and you're waking up and some intruder's coming in your home, well, this, this commandment does not prohibit that. Self-defense then is not a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Letter B, the Sixth Commandment does not prohibit capital punishment or the use of lethal force. Genesis chapter number 9, verse number 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Okay, so watch here. He just put a, he just put a weight on man's life. He just put, he attached a value to man, to, to man's life. And what is the value attached to man? The value attached to the life of a man or of a human. The value attached was that man was given life in the image of God. 
And so his life is a picture, is an image of God, so that any attack on a person, any, any attack on a human being, any violence done toward, this is an attack, this is violence toward, not somebody who just bothers you, but this is an attack, violent act against the image of God. Because this person represents the image of God. So you are attacking the very image of God. That's what he says in Genesis chapter number 9. So he's, he's adding value there. But he's also saying that if you do take someone's life, the only restitution that can be made back is that your life then be given just the same. If you shed man's blood, by man shall your blood be shed. Capital punishment for murder was not considered an assault on the image of God because capital punishment for murder is a defense against assault on the image of God. So human life is so precious that taking human life should and ought to be punished severely. That's, that's really the weight of Genesis chapter number 9. But what he's saying is it's punished severely with what? It's punished severely with capital punishment or the use of, legal, of, of lethal force. And I'm not trying to make any sort of political statement in that way. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says and, and how that weighs out into how we view uh, our world today and view the things that ought to be happening in our world. It's certainly true that there are cases where that sort of diagnosis or the, or the reading of that situation is done correctly. And there are cases where that, uh, the reading of those situations are, are done incorrectly. But if someone misuses their authority, they answer to God for how they misused their authority. If governments misuse their authority, they answer to God for how they misuse their authority. Our statement, our position according to the Word of God is simply that Capital punishment is a means of protecting any, so, any sort of assault or attack on the image of God in the value of humanity. So, Sixth Commandment, according to the, the Word of God, does not prohibit self-defense, does not prohibit capital punishment or the use of lethal force. Third, the Sixth Commandment does not prohibit a just war. Now, peace is always the goal. Peace is always what we should strive for. That's certainly true. But war is sometimes necessary in order to defend peace. We obviously see this from the Old Testament where uh, warfare is not prohibited because God is telling Israel to go into war, telling Israel to go into battle. Even God himself in the Psalms declares himself as a warrior. That's a really interesting uh, tag that the God gives himself in there. He's, he's our shepherd. We like that image. But also he is our warrior in that he is fighting for us. So God in the Old Testament obviously sends Israel into battle, tells Israel that he is a warrior for them. But even in Romans chapter number 13, the Bible says that the duty of a state-appointed government and the duty of, of agents of the government and the duty of the military uh, is to protect, it is to serve, it is to look out for the innocent life of its own civilians. So we would believe that the Sixth Commandment does not prohibit what 
theologians would call a just war. So what, we, what, what that would mean is you're not just going into war, going into battle simply so you could gain land or so you could be rich or so you could dominate someone else in your quest of world domination. That's it's not the idea, but a just war in the sense that your civilians or the people who live in your city, that they are under threat or being attacked in some way, man, then it is the government's job to protect and defend the innocent lives of its civilians. And so we would say the Bible does not, in the sixth commandment, the Bible does not prohibit, it does not prohibit war in that way. It does not prohibit capital punishment or the use of lethal force. It does not prohibit self-defense. So three things that we believe it does prohibit then letter what are we d right so it does prohibit premeditated intentional murder i think it's pretty straightforward the bible prohibits premeditated intentional murder you see this several times in the old testament some of the references we've already given to you but where someone for whatever reason has valued something above someone and in order to gain the value of this something that they want, they ended the life of this someone because they wanted to gain this something. You could talk about Naboth being uh, and his vineyard as an example of that, right? So, so think all those Old Testament stories of how uh, men or women used some sort of force in order to gain something that they wanted because somebody else had it. The Bible strictly prohibits what we would understand as premeditated intentional murder. You went out to get someone because they made you mad in some way, and this is a violation of the commandment. Letter E, the Bible prohibits premeditated, or the Bible prohibits unintentional, or unmeditative, I guess if that's the word, unintentional Murder. This is, this is really interesting. You could read like Deuteronomy 19, Deuteronomy 20. There are some really interesting uh, uh, analogies of how this law works out. Deuteronomy 19 is a story about an ox that breaks out of its pen and then runs around the city and kills someone. How many of you remember reading that in your Bible reading? You're like, what is this talking about? And if your ox that's, that's crazy and reckless, if it breaks out, you know your ox is crazy and reckless, but it breaks out of its pen and it goes and kills your neighbor, then you're guilty of that person's death. Right? According, according to Deuteronomy chapter number 19. It, it's, it's, it's not intentional, premeditated, but it is unintentional. It's what we would call in our day and age voluntary, right? Or involuntary manslaughter. It would prohibit any sort of reckless involuntary manslaughter, someone who's driving recklessly and hits someone, someone who's driving drunk and kills someone. They, they didn't set out to do it intentionally. It wasn't premeditated, but it happened because they were reckless or because they were careless. Man, this would be a violation of this commandment. The Bible prohibits premeditated intentional murder. The Bible prohibits unintentional murder that's not premeditated, but it's simply reckless. Number three, or, or the last one there, the Bible prohibits negligent homicide. The Bible prohibits negligent homicide. There's this unbelievable story that happens in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse number eight. So here's how the law works out. Here, here's what he says in the law. When thou buildest a new house 
Then thou shalt, this is interesting, right? God is giving us building instructions. He's giving us building code. When you build a new house, then thou shalt make the battlement for thy roof, and thou shalt not, and, and thou shalt, Wait, let me try it again. And that thou bring not blood upon thine house, if any man fall from thence. Okay, so here's what he's saying. In their day, how you had a nice, comfortable evening in your home was you went to the roof and you sipped some tea and you enjoyed the, the over-the-city skyline view. And so what he says is when you build your home and you get to the roof and you're building your family luxury outdoor porch, Put a fence around the top of your porch. That way, when you have guests over to your home, they don't fall off of your roof and you're guilty of having killed them in violation of the sixth commandment. Do you understand that? You're like, why in the world would, would that need to be a law, right? Well, we have similar laws like that. If you have a pool in your house or at your, in your backyard, one of the laws of our city, of our state, is that that pool needs a gate around the pool. Hey, how, many of you, how many of you understand this law, right? Well, why? Why does my pool need a gate around the pool? Because it's my pool. It's my backyard, right? Well, it needs that in order to keep, man, something from negligent from happening. Some child wandering into your backyard and then... Something tragic happening as a result of it. Exodus chapter number 21, verse number 28, verse number 29. If an ox gore a man or a woman, that they die. Good. Another random story, right? In the middle of Exodus. If an ox gore a man or a woman, that he die. Then the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox um, shall, be, shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to, to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall also be put to death. Did you see what he's saying? He said, so you have this ox in your backyard and it got out and it has no history of being reckless or being uh, chaotic or being crazy. And then that kills someone and that's a shock to you and that's a shock to your neighbors and that's a shock to everyone else in, this, in, the, in, the, in the neighborhood. Well, well then just, just put the ox down. But if your ox is crazy and reckless and it's been out before and it's hurt other people and you know about it, people have testified to you about it, but you don't take care of it, well, then that's on you. Do you see how that works out? He says, then that would be a violation of this commandment. So the, vi the, the, the prohibition then would be that we, this commandment prohibits negligent homicide. And at first, when you read through all of that, especially in your Bible reading, so if you're reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're not in any sort of breakup pattern, but you're just going from the first book to the last book. Right now, you're probably where I am. You're, about, you're around the end of Deuteronomy. How many of you are around the end of Deuteronomy in your Bible reading? And you're going, oh my word, how many more of these passages do I have to read? What is, what is all of this about? This is the Lord in, in instituting and explaining and applying and illustrating what he has given right here in Exodus chapter number 20. The laws sound strange because you and I don't fear being ran over by a bull when we cross the street. But you and I do fear of being hit by a car while we're walking across the street. So we can understand it in those terms and in that sense. 
In a similar way, God is teaching us, man, that these things, the first three, would not be prohibited in the, in the Sixth Commandment, but the back three would be prohibited in the Sixth Commandment. Number two, how is the Sixth Commandment pertinent? How is it pertinent? Well, the Sixth Commandment certainly applies to us in all the same ways that we just saw right there. But the Sixth Commandment, it, it also applies to us in other ways, right? And again, no, no attempt to be political tonight, just an attempt to reaffirm the value of a human life. And that would be this. The Sixth Commandment speaks specifically to the issue of suicide. It speaks specifically to the issue of suicide. That there is almost no topic that is as painful as suicide, especially for those who have experienced it with their friends or their, or their family in some way. But suicide would be a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Suicide is a sin. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. It is not an unpardonable sin. But it is a sin nonetheless. And for centuries, the, the church has actually stood against this idea. They, they, they've said this suicide is not something that, as God's people, we ought to do. Why? Because it's self-murder. That's what it is. You, you are, in a sense, devaluing your own life and you're valuing the problems, whatever they may be, however real they may appear. That's actually a very interesting study as well. There are five instances of suicide in the Scripture. Judges 9, 1 Samuel 31, 2 Samuel 17, 1 Kings chapter 16, Matthew chapter number 7. And all of those contexts of suicide, in every one of those contexts, there's some sense of shame. There's some sense of defeat. There's some sense of failure that this person has. And in the moment where that person is feeling that fear or shame or failure, in the moment, man, what are they valuing? They're not valuing their own life. They're valuing the idea that in some way they've brought shame on their family. In some way they've brought fear to everyone. In some way all these external things are more valuable than their own life. And so people would be better off without me. And there could be nothing farther from the truth. And listen, God does not lead us into situations where violating his commandment is our only or our best option. Your life is precious to God regardless of the pain that you are experiencing in your life right now. Your life is precious to God regardless of the pain that you are experiencing in your life right now. And what suicide does is suicide values the pain that I am experiencing in life over the truth that my life is precious to God. Do you understand that? Suicide values that. Again, going back to the idea there's nothing more valuable, there's nothing more precious than human life. The commandment speaks specifically to the issue of suicide. Second, and I think probably obviously, the commandment speaks to the issue of abortion. The Bible teaches us that life begins at conception. And actually, up until recently, everyone, at least in the Western world, agreed with the idea that life begins with conception. But whether everyone agrees or whether no one agrees with that principle does not matter. It is still true and right. And if your biological life begins at conception, 
then that also means that at conception, that that is a person made in the image of God, created to honor God, created to live with a purpose from God, and that life deserves to be protected. That life above all deserves to be protected. We believe that this issue then would speak to suicide. We believe this issue would speak to abortion. We think third, this issue would speak to euthanasia. Psalms chapter 41, verse number one, blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. So there, what we would also believe is, is a, a weird world that we live in because you go to school and they say, don't commit suicide. Suicide's a terrible choice and it, no one needs to do that. And then you, you, you fast forward to... Um, late uh, term health clinics and hospitals and they say, uh, well, you've had a long life, you might as well get to go out on your own terms, right? So you have these two kind of competing entities in the world, right? And they're not literally non-sustainable in, in the way that they're approaching this thing. It's a similar idea. Any action, abortion, suicide, euthanasia, any action that leads to the taking of a human life has to be off limits, as a people, it has to be off limits. When the Bible says, blessed is he that considereth the poor, and then that the Lord will deliver him in his day of trouble. Considering the poor by providing comfort for them. Considering the sick by providing care for them. However long of a life the Lord gives them, Man, our responsibility should be providing care, providing hope, providing comfort. Why? Because of that human person was made, created in the image of God. And no matter what the quality of their life is, no matter what their age is, no matter what their diagnosis is, their position, whether in the womb or out of the womb, their number of chromosomes that they have, their unique challenges, their special needs, they are deserving of life. And we should stand up and protect those lives. Well, I thought you would be a little more excited about that than you were, but that's okay. Third and last one. Man, where it hits home. Man, how Jesus turned the sixth commandment into a powerful, powerful truth for you and for me. I want you to go to Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew, or Matthew chapter number 5, rather. Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 21 and verse number through verse number 26. And here's what he says. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Okay, so look here. Jesus is, Jesus is taking this commandment, everything that we just kind of explained and walked through, and now he's going to apply. He's going to drive it home into our hearts. And what he's going to aim at is he's going to aim at this idea. Well, I haven't murdered anybody, so I'm good. Now, I, well, I, I obviously have not broken God's law this way. Okay, so he's going to aim at that. And here's what he says. You have heard, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you. So he's going to add. So here's, here's the addition to it. That whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say unto his brother Reka shall, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Okay, so, so three ideas. Whoever's angry at his brother, whoever's calling his brother Rekha or insulting him, right? Rekha like, literally means like an insult. You're, you're calling someone a name. You're insulting. You're degrading them in some way. 
You're, you're poking fun at them. You're, you're cutting them down. You're using your words to say hateful things about them. So angry, insulting, and then the last one is thou fool, which is, which is quite literally you're, you're pronouncing a curse. It's like a, a denunciation, if you will. You're pronouncing a curse on that person. Whoever is angry, you, you just get, you're ticked off, you're mad, you're angry, you're, you're, you're whatever it is. Okay, you're seeing red, whatever it is. That, insulting them, reka, right? So you're cutting them down, throwing, throwing slanderous terms. Or you're saying thou fool, which is um, you're, you're, you're calling for a curse on them. You're, you're cursing them in that way. That these things, notice what he says. Notice how, how it like rolls out here. Danger of judgment, danger of counsel, danger of hellfire. So the sixth commandment not only prohibits a violent act of murder, but the sixth commandment prohibits violent emotions in the heart. Did you catch that? The sixth commandment not only prohibits the violent act, the deed of murder, the sixth commandment prohibits any sort of violent emotions or intentions that exist or lives in the heart. So four ideas with this. Four ideas. How this, how this really hits home and how you and I are in danger of this. Having anger towards someone so that we desire physical harm to come upon them is a violation of the sixth commandment. Look here, I'll say it again. Having anger towards someone so that we desire some sort of physical harm to come to them is desire or is a violation of the sixth commandment. That's what he says in verse number 21. Look, look at it again. Thou shalt not, you've heard thou shalt not kill. You shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So what Jesus says is, God looks at your heart, not just your behavior. Look here. God looks at your heart not just your behavior. And oftentimes, we use that backwards, right? We say things like, well, what really matters is what's on the inside because all people see is on the outside, right? And we, we get that from Samuel. God looketh on the heart, man looketh on the outward appearance. So we use that in a way that justifies who we are on the inside. It doesn't really matter what we do on the outside. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you're right. God does see your heart. And, and that's a far worse thing. Well, why? Because it's quite possible that we develop this angry spirit toward a brother, toward a sister, toward a friend, toward a neighbor, that we develop this angry spirit so that we wish them harm. We hope physical harm comes to them. And when we do so, we are in violation of this commandment right here. There, there, there could be 1,000 reasons why you would never act out the desire to see physical harm come on someone. Like you may have enough common sense that you're not going to physically go after someone and to assault them in some way. There, there may be a thousand reasons why you do not act on the desire, but your desire 
is what matters, not just your behavior. When you desire someone's harm so much so that you wish them physical difficulty or harm or trouble, then you are guilty. And you are guilty of violating this commandment. So, so let me ask you a couple questions to make this really personal. Do you have a list of people in your head that you just wish would disappear out of your life? I just, yeah, I just wish. I, if I never see that person ever again the rest of my life, I'll be happy. That's an, that's an angry spirit toward them. That's what that is. So, so, so do you have someone that you would just love to see them fall flat on their face and completely humiliate themselves and become completely ridiculous and be laughed to scorn? That, that's an angry spirit. It's a violation of this commandment. Do, do you have someone that, do, do you have these imaginary conversations in your mind? where you're constantly telling people who bother you, you're just telling them the what for, you're giving them the what for, they ticked you off, and so now you're just, you're just ranting at them, imaginary in your mind, oh, if I ever see them again, let me tell you what I'll say to them, I'll be like, you, and then what they would probably say to me is this, and so then what I would say is, right? You're guilty, you're guilty of, you're guilty of an angry spirit. You have a, do you have a girl in the high school or in the college class that you just pray that she would inexplicably gain 30 pounds overnight so that way you would be the pretty and popular one? That's an, that's an angry spirit. That's an angry spirit. Do, do, you have, do you have some sort of fit of rage where you just gotta go let off some steam, punch the wall, kick the tire, in order, to, in order to work it out, then you can do that, then you can come back and you'll be okay then? See, that look, that's an angry spirit. I, I, I have a sermon I preach, maybe we'll do it in a couple weeks from now, but I have a sermon I preach about an angry spirit. Man, and how prevalent this angry spirit is all throughout the Old Testament and how this angry spirit wrecks families. Wrecks families. There's no flourishing wife when a man walks into a home with an angry spirit. No, she's not flourishing. She's trembling. There's no, there's no joy-filled children filled with laughter and cutting up and laughing and having a good time when dad comes home ticked off at the world. There's, there's no bouncing. There's no children are a heritage of the Lord and our blessings. They're arrows in the hands of a mighty man when dad comes home angry. And we can joke and we can laugh. We can go, that angry spirit, yeah, I get mad sometimes. I can just go punch the wall every now and then. Mm. That's, a, that's a violation of this commandment. Having an angry spirit toward a brother or sister in Christ, so much so that you desire physical harm to come to them in any way, is a violation of the sixth commandment, and it's a murderous spirit. Number two, number two, thinking of people as anything less than made in the image of God is a type of murder. Thinking of people in anything less than made, that person is made in the image of God 
is a type of murder. Look what he says in verse number 22. Let's find it again, verse number 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, and whosoever shall say to his brother thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So the, the first one is he just gets angry. The second one is now we start throwing insults. We start calling names. We start poking and prodding in that way. And then the third one is he just speaks a full curse. You are a fool. The, the curse, thou fool, is the Greek word moros. It literally is where we get our word moron. The, the word literally means worthless person. So he, Look, look here. He's not, he's not saying you should never use the word fool. Okay? What, what he is saying is he said, he, he's talking about what the word fool means in their context, what it means in their culture, the weight behind it. What's the weight behind it? The weight behind it is that you see someone, you start insulting them, poking, prodding them, and now you see that person as a worthless individual. But that person is not a worthless individual. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. And they're... They're infinitely valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And so at first it's just outward wishing of harm. It's this, or, or rather this, this internal wishing of harm. And then it moves second to this outward expression where you, you use your anger to throw insults. You use your anger to denounce or curse someone else. I remember listening to someone teach about this verse and they thought that this verse literally meant you should never use the word fool. That's such a small-minded look at this verse. The verse is it's far more than just never use the word fool. I don't think you should use the word fool, but it's bigger than just not using one word. It's, it's how you see someone else. Does that make sense? It's not just don't say this word. It's look how you see the people in your life. And see them, not as worthless, but see them as valuable in the eyes of the Lord. Because of this, he gives three corresponding judgments. I don't necessarily think you should probably read into the judgments as if they're like ascending. I don't know that he means it that way. It certainly does read in like this increasing punishment every time. But I think, I think it particularly means that God will bring judgment on people who treat other people as worthless in their life. Adrian Rogers said on this point, and I'm quoting him now, here's what he says, murder does not come into the heart. Murder comes out of the heart. Murder does not come into the heart. Murder comes out of the heart. And I, I continue. And when there's murder in the heart, whether it ever really finds its expression in reality by taking another person's life does find expression by cutting a person down. Oh, that's good. Whether murder ever finds its way out of our heart by actually taking someone else's life, it does find its way out of our heart when we use our words to attack someone in order to cut them down. So how confident are you that you haven't broken this commandment? Still feeling pretty confident about it? I'm not. <laughs> oh man, I'm not. Other passages, and we won't spend time here, we've got to be done, but two other ideas. James chapter number one, James chapter number five teaches us that turning a deaf ear to suffering people 
while we continue to live in luxury, while we continue to live the American dream, while we continue to live for our own comforts, our own desires, our own pleasures, turning a deaf ear to someone in need is preparing them for the day of slaughter. That's, that's, the, that's the verse he uses. That's the phrase he uses at the end of James chapter number five, verse number five. So, oh, oh, ye rich man who have all this luxury, who have all these things, and you just keep living according to your own needs, wants, and desires, and you turn a blind eye to the people who are in need? Wow. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a striking, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a strike against us in this commandment, isn't it? That do we pursue our career, use our money, use our time, use our talents, use our abilities for personal gain, or are we using our time, talents, career, money for the gain and the glory of God Almighty and for the good of other people in our lives? Are we leveraging the gifts that God has given to us in the form of time, talent, and treasure in order to get what we always wanted, or are we using these gifts as a way to do good and work good on those who are around us? Last one. Not giving out the gospel to those who are in need is seen as a type of blood guiltiness. Ecclesiastes chapter number 33, even in the book of Romans where Paul talks about the blood guiltiness of himself. That there are people in our world who are in need of the gospel. You and I have the gospel. Do we have a compassionate spirit toward them? Or do we with disdain say, well, they don't need to hear it. They had their chance. They're pagan or heathens or terrible. Or do we feel the weight and the burden and the responsibility to take the gospel to all people everywhere, to all the nations, to all languages, to all tribes? Do we feel feel that responsibility to say that those are people made in the image of God and they do not hear about the good grace that God has extended to us through Jesus Christ, then they will suffer the ultimate judgment and that is they will face eternity without God in hell. If I say the number 1.8 billion, does that number mean anything to you? According to the Joshua Project, 1.8 billion people is the amount of people in our world today who they say are unreached. Let me give you their definition of unreached. Unreached means that there are less than 2% of any evangelical presence in those cities, countries, or states. That there are 1.8 billion people where there's less than 2% of any evangelical, I mean, any evangelical presence at all. And it would do us good to realize that this is not just a stat. Those aren't just numbers. That those are people made in the image of God, just like you and just like me. With families just like yours who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is something that you and I have. So what are we doing to leverage our time, talents, and abilities in order to get the gospel to those places, in order to get the gospel to those people? And to, to, to not do that, to sit back and say, well, we just, we want to know how we can be more comfortable. We want to know how we can have all the luxuries that we want. We want to know where the coffee shop is going in the church hallway. 
to sit back and only concern ourselves with ourselves is a measure of blood guiltiness, according to the Bible. It's not a compassionate spirit shown to those in need. So let's make this personal. How are you and I, or what are you and I doing in order to advance the gospel into the world and into the regions of the world where there is very little or no gospel influence at all? How are you doing in your faith promise missions commitment? How are you doing in your tithes and offerings? How, how, how are we doing in those areas? You still feel pretty confident about this? I don't feel confident about this commandment anymore, do you? I feel like, oh, Lord, I failed you in this way too. I failed you in this way too. But thank the Lord that even though we failed him, he has never failed us. Man, even though I've had an angry spirit towards someone, probably wrongfully, Thank the Lord God did not have an angry spirit toward me, even though he would have been right in being angry at me. No, God had a compassionate spirit toward me in that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in my place, that even though we were, as Paul says, the enemies of God, even though we were sinning, God sent Jesus to die on the cross in our place for us. Aren't you thankful for that? Man, and that is what ought to pull us cause us to want to walk for, forward and closer in line with what he has for our lives. 